And we're back with another episode of Double Buffs. I am Gregory Piantadosi, your host of Double Buffs. And normally, uh, my co-host is Cristiano Tacolite, but today I'm joined by another friend, Tucker, who I actually haven't seen in a while since high school. Yeah, it's been but, a minute. Yep. This is an NALCS esports podcast where we bring you episodes on YouTube and Spotify. Pretty much every Thursday, that might change in the future. And if you're watching this on YouTube, I'll leave timestamps in the comments so you can kind of skip to whatever segment interests you the most. Um, so yeah, how you doing, Tucker? Like, what have you been up to? Doing pretty good. You know, I'm back out at school in middle of nowhere, Ohio. Uh, it's good to be back, settling in, you know, spending the last couple of days just moving back in and now I'm here. It's great. Nice. So it's been a pretty spicy playoff so far for the NALCS, I think, kind of going into the playoffs. Um, there was five teams that everyone was saying could make it to Worlds between Cloud9, Team Solomid, Team Liquid, 100 Thieves, and Evil Geniuses. And I think you ask the majority of people at the start of playoffs, you know, who's winning or who were who locks. Definitely one of Team Solomid or Evil Geniuses was on everyone's list, I think, pretty conclusively. Yeah, they definitely looked, they looked really good coming into it. And those were the two teams that didn't make it. Yeah, that's unfortunate for them. But, I mean, you honestly can't even really take away anything from the other teams, though. You know, I mean, they're all series that have gone really well for the teams that won them. And they've been also really good games. Just a lot of back and forth, a lot of best of fives. Um, Just some really great games overall. Um. Yeah, so we actually, I, this is, so we're, we're catching up on basically two weeks of games based off of, you know, we didn't, I didn't record last week because Cristiano's in Italy. So there's a few series to talk about, but we'll, we'll, we'll kind of keep it more up to date. And I think one of the, you know, the final world spot for North America, Cloud9 versus Team Solo Mid, was a banger of a series, a lot to talk about, at least for me about TSM specifically in that series in general. Um, both teams got stomped by Team Liquid previously in the playoffs, and then they were matching up to see who was the best of the worst. And I guess that's Cloud9. Yeah. So. How do you feel about that series? Were you surprised by the outcome? Um, not really. I mean, Cloud9 versus TSM is like such an iconic one. It goes back and forth every time. Um, TSM looked good coming in, but Cloud9 didn't look too bad either. Um, just personally, I probably would have picked Cloud9. I think they have a more complete roster. Um, Perks wasn't looking great in the earlier seasons, but he's cemented himself as one of the best mid laners in the LCS right now. Um, and he really carried a lot of the series on his back. I kind of, <clears throat> I really agree with that. I actually had a talking point about that, kind of that sentiment where you said Cloud9 is just a more complete team. And Mm -hmm. I was thinking about this today, at least. And I personally, when I view Team Soulmate, I just feel like they have too many build around players and kind of like, in in some sense, elite role players where Mm -hmm. like Power of Evil only plays mages. Huni has 
maybe a weak or inconsistent lane phase, lost inability to pop off, and he has kind of a small champion pool where he's only really exceeds on like Varus and Kaisa. He can't really play much Ziggs. And then you mm-hmm. have Sword Art, who he came over from China last split. And it was kind of all these like elite role players who are maximized some things and they're really bad at other things. And it was all kind of brought together with Spika as, you know, that pillar and Bjergsen's coaching where they have that cohesiveness. But as we saw in the playoffs, when Spika's not necessarily the best player in the series, um, Team Solomon tends to crumble. They're kind of like this massive fortress that like, when everything's clicking and all their players are popping off in the same game, will run over you. But very rarely did I was it kind of like everyone was popping off. It was usually like one player or along with Spika, maybe one player was getting exposed. And that's kind of where I saw them falter, at least in that Cloud9 series, was like, imagine this really big fortress, right? It's super intimidating. Like it's very strong foundation. You can defend it really well, but it's only guarded by one person. Um you know, slowly bits and pieces of that fortress are going to crumble no matter how strong it is because one person can't man everything, in that case being Spica, versus a really smaller fortress, but it's guarded by like five people, you know? Mm-hmm. And then I, feel, I, I feel like they just had difficulty closing out games. Um, yeah, that's what I noticed from Team Solomon in the playoffs, at least. Yeah. I mean... Cloud9 just like, yeah, going back to just being a more complete team, it's like they have Sven and Vulcan who have been together for a while now, and they have great synergy. Vulcan is extremely good. Perks, obviously, is a name everyone knows in the league scene. Um, you kind of have to be under a rock to not know that name. But he's stepped it up in the playoffs. He's played a lot better. There wasn't as many unnecessary deaths, still a few here and there, but not a ton. Fudge is coming into his own as a really good top laner also. And then Blabber is just a consistent top three jungler in the LCS. So it's this Cloud9 roster feels like a really good team when you look at it and you consider all their past performances. TSM, however, it's like Sword Art, is he gonna you know, is he gonna play out of this world like like he did at Worlds? Or is he gonna kind of be useless because i mean that's his biggest problem it's like sometimes he's the greatest and sometimes he's just you know it's not there. a walking ward yeah just kind of um, forget about power of, yeah and i i don't really rely on power of evil to carry a lot like i think he's a really good like control mage and kind of just setting up his team which is why like he does well on the orianas and stuff like that uh but i don't ever rely on him to super carry a game 1v9 mm-hmm. i think with, I, sword I art, like I can... with sword art specifically we saw him okay game two in this series was really exciting to me personally because game two basically felt like a game five in my mind right it was so close there were so many close plays we had lost on Varus popping off we had orion on power of evil he was deathless until late game they got cloud soul um they were in such a great position to win it and it, it was such a momentum like wrecker when Cloud9 won. You know, they completely flopped around the series with that game. If TSM wins that game, it's over. But right when they lost, I knew TSM was going to lose. Sword Art, especially in that series on Pantheon, uh, is kind of like what you're saying. You know, he 
he didn't buy boots until late game. I didn't really see him do much except for some flash like stuns. Maybe he prevents uh, someone in a rise ultimate from getting out. Like uh, mm-hmm. there was one play where Perks uh, during that elder fight, Perks teleported towards the inhibitor uh, down in bot lane, and uh, Sword Art canceled his like his rise ultimate with his Pantheon flash W, and that seemed like all he was good for. Meanwhile, mm-hmm. like both their carries are performing so well. And that's kind of what I mean when it's like they have all these like really role, good role players, but it's only like one or two kind of stepping up each game when they all are like on their mojo. They look so good. But like, I feel like one person's always inting, whether that's lost on Ziggs, who can't play, or sort out on Pantheon, or Hooney doing some random yeah, thing. Yeah, going or 05 Power in Beagle. the top lane. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's one of those teams where you know what they can do if they perform at that level. You know, like I always expect decent results from this cloud nine roster just because I know that these players are consistently showing up and doing really well. TSM mm. roster. It's like, I know that they all I are incredible. Say, I wouldn't yeah, say maybe not consistent. All of them. Yeah. They've been a little inconsistent here and there, but you know, they're still, still the boys, you know, I feel like, I feel like I'd almost describe Team Solo Mid as as more consistent. Kind of like you know what you're getting from them. Cloud9 is yeah. kind of like on their best days, they're like, you know, they have perks, yeah, they... you know, playoff perks. On their mm-hmm. worst days, though, they have like inting Jazuke perks. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah, I just, I really look at Sword Art like, I know that the, the pickup is a lot. What was it, six million or something like that for his contract I think it was two million it might have been six actually i don't know i forgot i think it was maybe with the buyout um mm-hmm. but he's just i just I'm, i have question marks around sword art all the time just because sometimes he looks like he's the best support in the world you know he, he had us what was it against um their most recent series he had he was doing some crazy things with loss on thresh and mm-hmm. then uh, he sometimes he just like yeah like he goes oh six and just doesn't do anything. Yeah, he's... he like Leona like engages while the team's just very clearly not prepared to go in in kind of like yeah. a choke point, and then he has to blow his flash to get out and still might die. I saw a lot of like those type of plays from Sword Art, and I think uh, Team Solo Mid historically has kind of been one of those slow and controlled and methodical type of teams, and especially with Bjergsen as the head coach, who is kind mm-hmm. of taken this play style and ingrained it into his brain and now he's ingraining it into his players. I don't know necessarily if Sword Art is the best fit for that style because he's coming over from Flash Wolves and from China, um, two much more aggressive leagues than the North American LCS, where it's kind of just like, oh, you see an opportunity, you go for it, you fight to the death, the better team comes on top. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't think that's necessarily Team Solomid's style, so to speak. Yeah. It's just also like the picks because, you know, Pantheon is super early game. And it doesn't seem like he's comfortable on those types of supports. And it also doesn't seem like it super fits in with the team comp. I mean, yeah, they have Huni and Spica. So they have Huni has lockdown. So does Sword Art. They can chain their CC really well. But he has to get too close to engage unless he ults. And then it's also yeah. just, he kind of just falls off super late. He just becomes a stun bot at a certain point. And yeah. that's, 
kind of not what you want to do when you have like a almost carry support kind of mm-hmm. um, like Sword Art normally is. I think Sword Art is like, like you said, on his Thresh, where he's really elite caliber. I think he's a very mechanical player, um, like on a micro level. But uh, I don't think his uh, decision making when to engage is really all there. Like, I think Vulcan definitely outplayed him in the series. There was that one fight uh, around Baron where Vulcan had a crazy recon ultimate. That that game, too, really sticks out in my mind, and I feel like a lot of people's mind, just because it really was so close and uh, so much was on the line during that game. And we saw Vulcan getting these, like, really good recon gauges and flashing ultimates. Meanwhile, Pantheon was only good for a flash uh, W stun every once in a while. Never had like game changing ultimates. Um, and it, it was really unfortunate to see kind of that game too, but I'm happy for cloud nine. I think overall, um, initially I wanted, I, I wanted the best three teams to go to worlds. And I thought that was going to be team solo made evil geniuses and one of cloud nine or team liquid. But I think with, with these recent series, team liquid and 100 thieves look like the best team in the league. And, mm-hmm. Out of the losers, Cloud9's been able to ramp it up the most when it matters. Um, and I'm not disappointed that uh, finally we have something over EU where G2 didn't get a go. Yeah. Perks and NA is going mm-hmm. to Worlds. No perks, no Worlds, something like that. No sneaky, um, no Worlds. Yeah. He broke that. He broke that. Yeah. Perks equals Worlds. So, I mean, that's just basic math right there. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, but G2 falling, I mean, of course it had to be to Fnatic. Who did you so want that, to win that series? G2 or Fnatic? Did you, do you watch EU at all? Like, is that kind of, I do, I do like tune in every once in a while. Um, yeah, me too. Just to see, you know, just the names, you know, it's like G2 versus Fnatic. Like, yeah, you have to watch that game a little bit. Um, yeah. It's kind of Adam, funny that, that Cloud9 and Fnatic both swapped their mid laners and now they're both <laughs> going to Worlds. Yeah. Or, uh, or Fnatic. Uh, yeah, does that mean? No, they didn't swap mid laners. But Fnatic got well, Niski. Yeah. Niski and, Niski and Cloud9 are both going to Worlds, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Niski was were, super good. Slept on yeah. in the LCS for sure. Oh, big time. Uh, that game five. G2 versus Fnatic 2, I felt like that was also a pretty hype series. We had some really storied games. You know, we had Gen G versus SKT. They played off in the lower bracket. We had G2 versus Fnatic, where in that game five, um, Adam pulled out the Darius. And there was also yeah. that crazy, if you haven't, anyone that's listening, if you haven't seen the play, there was a crazy um, flash trundle pillar by Bwipo where he interrupts. Uh, a rat three man rise ultimate and then you know darius gets in there with all of his aoe his q and in they all die fanatic just you knew they won the game after that play there's some really mm-hmm. hype moments in that series yeah adam stepped it up a lot he's super impressive um i know this is lcs mainly but just wanted to talk about him because he's been really impressive lately especially like soloing wonder Mm-hmm. lots of you know like super high impact especially for someone like as young and kind of as new as him there's been especially okay so 
especially in Europe, I feel like Fnatic always finds these like new players and the rookies and they always maximize them, right? They had mm-hmm. Nemesis, got to Worlds, he did really well. They had uh um what's the jungler on counter? They had Broxa, he was a rookie, yeah. played really well. They discovered Caps, played really well. Now they have Adam, really well. Fnatic is really good at like nickel and diming their roster and putting together mm-hmm. a competitive roster year after year. They have really good talent recognition um in the talent pool meanwhile Mm -hmm. north america we don't necessarily have as big of a talent pool but one player that i'm sad to not see go to worlds just because he's a native bred north american player he had that absolute highlight play against 100 thieves where he basically uh 1v5 uh is danny really good tristana evil geniuses as a whole were a really fun team to watch this season it was kind of uh sad to see them falter in the way they did how do you feel about Evil Geniuses and Danny? Danny, super impressive. Uh, great plays all around. Yeah, that one, the one play is just absolutely crazy um, that he had in the series. Mm-hmm. But EG, uh, I don't, I don't like look at this roster and I'm like not, I'm not blown away by anybody. You know, maybe the only person it would be Danny. Because Svenskeren's been decent, Impact's always decent, and then Ignar's always decent, but they're they'd lack the names, I guess, kind of. They like they lack the explosive talent that some of the other rosters have. Like C9, you know, Perks is going to do some crazy stuff one time, mm. and you know, Team Liquid is just Team Liquid. I mean, they're just five superstars well, pretty much i don't i think ignar's actually kind of like he, he's been quietly a really good support in the lcs i'd say i think this playoffs he had uh, he didn't play too well this playoffs he seemed kind of non-existent especially in that cloud nine series and impact also inted a bit and it was weird like evil geniuses all season long were talking about their their six-man rotation where they had two junglers and they played with Svenskeren, all regular split. And Contracts was kind of that Swiss army knife that they could utilize when they wanted to for kind of a change of pace in, in mm-hmm. the game and in draft and in preparation and planning. Then they got to playoffs and just completely switched both of them, where it's like, why weren't you playing Contracts all season and using Svenskeren as a swift army knife? I feel like something kind of happened in playoffs by maybe the coaching or the management infrastructure where they chose to go with contracts and they won the coaching, um, the coach in infrastructure of the split award. Right. And it's like, well, they look so much worse in playoffs that you kind of have to question um, what was the decision-making behind this move. You know, they, if anyone dropped the ball, I feel like it's mainly on the coaches, even though contracts looked good and cohesive with the team they were taking all these kind of all split all split long they were a very crazy team where they were going for like 55% 40 of chance of working out and 45% chance of not working out type of plays where in north mm-hmm. america in general teams kind of try to go for those like 80% plays and yeah. listening to interviews about like the the from the coaching structure they were saying yeah we're just we're 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 limit testing all of our players so that come playoff times they know when to avoid those situations and they know when they have a better eye for these like minuscule fights and how to execute on them. 
Meanwhile, mm-hmm. then they got to the playoffs and they have contracts playing all the games and they were still taking some two versus four fights where they rolled over Dignitas just because of the skill disparity, which was a huge gap. But then once you put them against like the 100 Thieves or Cloud9, and they're still trying to take two versus four fights against a good team. They're just being super disrespectful. You know, sometimes it works out with like a Tristana 1v5, but in general, can't rely they, they on just, that. They entered too much. Yeah. I feel like it has to fall on the coaching staff a little bit too. Mm-hmm. For sure. I mean, that's, you have to kind of do it. And obviously, I'm sure that they probably talked about what their like what their win conditions are for each team comp and all of the prep that you ever think of, but uh, you have to pay attention to the game and make sure that you're not just throwing leads away for no reason or not paying attention to what they're doing. If they're rotating and you're not paying attention, then, you know, I mean, you get some of these weird fights where it's like, Oh, you think it's a two V two, but it's actually a two V four or you think it's a one V one and it's actually a one V three. Um, but yeah, and then, and, and then also like when they are in those positions, like, you know, when you're in a 1v3, there's a way to lose gracefully, right? It's just you let mm-hmm. one of your teammates die. The I feel yeah. like one of Evil Genius's problems is they don't they don't know how to lose gracefully, right? They mm-hmm. if it's a 1v3, they're gonna teleport in late. They're gonna try to always do that 2v4 play at the end of the fight where they make up for the disparity, where if it works then they get back to even, right? They get back to even. Yeah. But when they lose, they they it yeah, really just kind of snowballs. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, Svenskaren's been around for quite a while. I definitely trust like the leadership experience a lot of these teams have. Like I mean, if you look at all of the big 3 teams, they all have really like a ton of experience. Um, and then junglers are normally, normally, not always the correct thing, but they normally are like the most calling-esque. They kind of set up the rest of the team. Yeah, they're um, a shot they, caller. Yeah. And so uh, nothing against contracts, but I just trust Svenskaren's judgment a lot more in these like more high-stakes games. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, he's been around for a while. He knows, He knows what's going on. He knows what's happening so i yeah i just question that decision a little bit to take him out i see where you're coming from but also in game two of the cloud nine series or maybe or maybe it was game one actually svenskaren played diana and he had some very very questionable engages on that champion i don't know if you really remember that game but he was ultimating in kind of like on the leona support like one man ultimate and then he was hourglassing right away, like immediately, all, like dash in, alt, hourglass, where mm-hmm. I was like, and then it just on hourglass and everyone's abilities were still up. They'd kill him and then it'd immediately be a 4v5, where it was kind of like, yeah, Svenskaren, what are you doing? You're supposed to kind of like not go for the support. You're supposed to go for the AD carry, first of all. Second of all, the Zonia's hourglass usage was just terrible because you want to use it like, after some people use a few skill shots, so then you can like use the hourglass and then those school shots are on cooldown so that when you get back into the stasis, you can deal your damage while they don't have their cooldowns anymore. But that's not how he used it. 
he just hourglassed right away so they could use all their skill shots on to like their back line or on him when he came back. And I don't know. I think maybe that's why like coaching staff took him out because he didn't – I see what you're saying in terms of shot calling and like when you do switch up your shot caller specifically in such a pivotal role as jungle where you're all over the map and kind of like listening to lanes, covering for lanes, that can really mm-hmm. change an entire dynamic of how a team plays. Um, but I don't think Spence Garen looked very good on Diana. Um, I think one jungler that has looked really good this playoffs is Santorin, where like yeah, everyone was kind of underestimating Team Liquid coming into playoffs because they didn't have Alfari for a period of time. They had coaching problems with Jet. Uh, Santorin mm-hmm. was having migraines, but then they came all together finally. And wow, they have they just look so good and confident listening to their players. Like they're all super excited. Like they, they're super confident. Alfari's trash talking. He's kind of replaced mm. that role of that double lift, like vacancy, kind yeah. of like of a trash talker of NALCS. Mm-hmm. I, I really like this team liquid roster. I'm I, I think we're definitely I don't know about Cloud9 versus TSM. I think it's close, but I think we're sending uh, the best three teams to worlds, in my opinion. I don't know how you feel about everything I just said, but whatever you want to digest, go for it. Yeah, I mean, Tia looks great. A little concerned when all this, you know, midseason roster shuffling kind of stuff was happening. Alfari out, uh, Santorin out, Jad out, Armeo in. And Armeo's not bad, but he d- he just... It feels like they're, he's just a jungler he's just a you know he's not doing anything he's just killing the jungle camps and following the rest of the team um which i think is not what tl needs i think they need something to really help alfari out in top if they get him ahead he's gonna dominate or -hmm. even just have like a i mean a complete team like their full roster because obviously they're going to be practicing with santor and the communication is going to be way better they're going to be more familiar with the strats and everything they don't have to bring our mayo in and catch him up mm. um and so i think but then they did the reverse with Santorin somehow kind of yeah like Santorin was out all split and somehow mm-hmm. he's just i i don't know if it's just like i feel like like what you're saying griggs a very foundational player he he checks off a lot of like the little things, but Santorin just seems like he was always in the right spot, especially against Team Solo Mid and Cloud9. He mm-hmm. was always ganking perks early in that first series with Sijuani, getting those flashes blown, knowing what he was doing, executing mechanically. In the Team Solo Mid series, he was going in 1v3 in some instances on Xin Zhao. I really don't think you can let Santorin have that champion. He's just too good on it. Yeah. I mean... There's a lot of stuff to talk about from those series. But, mm. I mean, it seemed like TL came in focused. They came in, they knew what they wanted to get done early. They knew what they wanted to do after. And they seemed to have very, like, good protocols for what they wanted to do. If things kind of went bad, then they responded accordingly. If And if they got perks flash early, you know, He's going to regank, or they're going to capitalize on the fact that he has to play safe for the next five minutes. Otherwise, he can be reganked. Um, they looked really complete. And that's, I mean, TL's my favorite LCS team. So I'm, I'm pumped for them. 
Really? They're your favorite? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I like the boys. I got a teal mask. I worked to class today. A mask? Oh, awesome. Like a face mask, yeah. That's fire. <laughs> I think double. I was kind of always like a like a double lift fan. So I'd be journeyman with him from team to team. Mm-hmm. And since Team Solomid was his last team, like I'm kind of a Team Solomid fan right now. Wait, like, I mean, you usually, can't, like, like you can't hate TSM. Like I mean, you can kind of hate TSM, but they're a so lot of people hate TSM. <laughs> yeah, they're so like foundational to the LCS that it's like you just have to kind of know that they're going to be a top five team every split, pretty much, as long as nothing goes wrong and. They're going to have a decent team. They're going to probably send a team to Worlds every year. Um, and they're going to be good, hopefully. Mm. Um, yeah. But I think they need they, they have some things they need to work on. They might need to do a roster change or two. Yeah. Um, I think Team Solo made, honestly. Like, this season, it was a good experiment. But I think you just need to start from scratch. Uh, you keep Spica, obviously. And then you choose, like, I think you also keep Power of Evil. Um, I don't think you can really upgrade Power of Evil too much. We've seen him play at Worlds before, and he can be a Worlds caliber mid lane. But then I think mm-hmm. you look at the other three positions, Lost, Huni, Sword Art, and you look for different players to either shuffle things around or whatnot, because it didn't work this year. Um, I don't think it's going to work next year. At a, I think they have too many role players. I think you keep Spica and Power of Evil... Uh, look for a different top. I like I like Cooney, but I think you look for a different top laner, someone, I don't know who, like maybe an impact. And then I think a really good AD carry that they should be looking at in the offseason. Not a good AD carry, but I think I actually really like Ray's a lot from Immortals. I think mm-hmm. he's a very aggressive AD carry and he has his int moments. And I think he has the perfect style to fit along Sword Art, if that's a player you're going to keep, presumably, since you paid him all that money. Yeah. <laughs> so then you have a more like aggressive style bot laner and he can actually play those champions like Ziggs and Draven. He's not restricting his champion pool like um mm-hmm. like Lost is. And then I think Bjergsen and like the leadership of that team kind of like and now with a year on Immortals, he they they kind of tell him when he can int and when he can not a bit better. But I think they can unlock a player like him or Neo. Maybe mm-hmm. Neo was also pretty good. Um, those are two eighty carries I'd look at from North America specifically, and then I don't know what you do for top lane since two of your import slots are taken by Power of Evil and Ignar. Maybe you run it back with uh, Huni. I don't know. I think they should look for a change, but I mean, you could always grab my boy straight out of the academy. Mister Niles makes his way to the top lane. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> the return. <laughs> yeah i mean wait do you know niles have you watched him since you're kind of in the call of g sports scene yeah and my i have some friends uh here that went to school with him he's from oh. ohio so have you like what do they what do they kind of say about his experience i mean he's just crazy like he is really good um it didn't quite show in the lcs but obviously it's a different type of stage but he dominated collegiate he I mean, it was he was by far top two player in collegiate, um, and then yeah, he played. I think he played soccer growing up, which is how my friends know him. But oh, cool! 
Yeah. He yeah, no, he dominated in collegiate, led Maryville to like three championships. Um and then obviously got picked up by Golden Guardians. Didn't have the greatest first split of his career, but I'm looking forward to him coming back if he does make an appearance back on the LCS stage. He always seemed like a player that was pretty good mechanically, but kind of didn't know uh, the more minute details. I think mm-hmm. what Niles needed was like a really like role specific top laner to help him out. Like we saw Vizichachi just joined Mad Lions and mm-hmm. um, helped. He's like a top lane positional coach for Armat. You know, two good players, but I think like kind of one of those veteran leaders like Vizichachi is exactly what Niles needs because we saw some good plays from him, but sometimes he just had like poor map awareness, especially. And yeah. like wave control. I think those are the two things that I saw from him. Like he didn't really know when or where to position his wave and kind of how the jungler was pathing, kind of like making that leap from solo queue or collegiate where it's more like you don't get punished prowess. as hard. Yeah. You don't get punished as hard. Mechanical prowess like kind of wins the game <sighs> versus like, you know, once you teach him those little things, that's when maybe he can actually be a really good player. So. That's cool that you know him. I hope I hope he gets another shot. Yeah, I mean TSM would be a, a decent fit. They keep Huni on, you know, top lane coach. Give him, give Huni another split to to fix himself. And if not, yeah, just drop Niles in. You have him with Sword Art. You <laughs> can mentor him a little bit more, maybe. You know, I mean, Sword Art's got the experience. That'd be very there's... exciting. Imagine that a Niles raise. As the new two additions to Team Solomon in the offseason, you hear it, heard it here first, folks. Yeah, TSM is going to World with Niles and Rays. Who else do you guys want to see? Drop a comment in the YouTube section below to the maybe one or two new viewers that made it this far into the episode. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, but he had some really impressive games. Like, he had some really good games, but it's like you said, you know, he got ganked a lot. He was kind of weak side he was kind of left alone a lot also he was also Um, on a weak team let's be clear yeah he he wasn't on the strongest team either yeah not the greatest team to make your debut on um but it they had he played weak side it's like he had i think he had the lowest gank rate in the lcs or something like that or the lowest amount of time with the jungler like close by it was like 37% when other times it's like 50 or something like that for some teams. I mean, the, his jungler was iconic. And, yeah, you know, who, he's I also mean, they played together to at. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was going to say. That's surprising. Like, you'd think they have a bit more synergy since they played together previously. Even though they're both kind of rookies, they had that synergy. Yeah, I think it... I mean, it happened too often to kind of be a one-off thing. So it had to in my mind, be a coaching thing. They said, yeah, we're going to kind of leave weak side top. And then they had iconic play more to the bot side or mid and try to play through there more often. Um, But that's, I mean, obviously I don't have any of the inside information of that, but that's, it happened too often for it to be them, like not playing well together or what's something like that. Yeah. What's interesting is like sometimes we kind of like take these rookies and we put them into the the playoffs or I mean the LCS and they kind of we just let them run. But we have to remember that these are 
aren't just champions and players like they're people outside of the game and kind of when you're in a struggling roster and maybe you've made it that leap to the next stage like people are talking about you on reddit and on social mm-hmm. media you kind of reading like oh niles is trash niles is trash gets into your head you're kind of like you know maybe i i am trash or like i just don't want to feed that's my goal i just want to kind of be there i'm not going to ask for any resources or any helps just because like i'm kind of too embarrassed and I, I think all my teammates are judging me and the community is judging me. Like, you know, pressure really can like set in on yeah. such a big stage. Like, you know, that's one of the reasons why playoff perks is so highly touted. And, you know, Rajon Rondo from the NBA, there's these players yeah. that kind of seemingly have these uh, playoff buffs when under high pressure situations, it's so hard. But in this day of like digital media, um, Instagram and kind of like so many people have these mental health problems and like everyone's judging everyone else. You can really see it on Instagram and Twitter, you know, that can really affect the player in their first season where, you know, that those nerves and being on a rough team or maybe like a team solo mid, which is kind of more historic franchise. They probably have some more sports psychologists or at least know how to deal with these situations. Like Golden Guardians actually has a really good infrastructure in that regard because they're coming from the Golden State Warriors. So they have a lot of yeah. like spending in, in that capacity, but like they're still new to the whole scene. So like mm-hmm. they were able to identify Niles as a really good rookie talent, but they might not have been able to unlock him within the team. Yeah. And it's, it's also just making that jump. You know, he talked about it a little bit before, like collegiate versus LCS. And Collegiate is very open. You know, I mean, he was, you know, obviously they Maryville was a little more advanced. Like they, they tried to keep what they played to the top, but you're still going to have matches against teams of like, you know, plats, silvers, and golds. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, point, it's so. making that jump where it's like you don't really get punished at all for your mistakes because you're just mechanically better. You can get those early advantages and snowball. Moving into the LCS where everyone is a elite player in terms of League of Legends, not in terms of each other, but everyone is an elite player and they will punish you for those mistakes. They will find ways to force you out. They will get the early advantages better than you. Um, I think it just it showed a little bit in the way he played. He was kind of going for some risky stuff at the start, stuff that he might have been able to get if the players weren't good or if they if the players themselves misplayed. Um, but yeah, I'm, I hope he gets another shot. I think his time in Academy is going to be decently you know how, well spent. Do you know how he, he, he didn't Academy? Out of curiosity, I, I don't really know. Not super sure. Yeah, because I haven't I, heard I of anything about him. But. Yeah, maybe he had a horrible Academy and it was just awful. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're also doing like, you, you experimented with casting too, right? Yeah. I did some casting in my day. How is that? Um, How does that kind of like work? Any insight for, or advice for anyone that's trying to do that? I'm kind of trying to do that a little bit. Yeah. So career aspirations. I just had the, in I, I played collegiate esports also part of my background. Um, I played overwatch. Um, but the program at my school was very small at the start, so we needed people to cast the games and we needed people to run the shows and stuff like that. Um, so my roommate here, uh, he's the production manager and general manager for the program. So he set up all the streams we have. Uh, our, we have two LAN rooms, 24 computers in each. Um, 
One would be game room, usually. It was split by games, but one would be when they were actually competing. Um, and we would mm-hmm. be spectating their league games in another room, casting. We have uh, like casting headsets, uh, face cams, and do you guys uh, have like a, do you have like a a replay system for like hype plays? Will you like go back to hype plays, or do you just kind of yeah, like? I think uh, my roommate put it back in. It wasn't there when I was casting. Um, that was about a year and a half ago. Um, but I'm pretty sure he's added it in. Also, they oh, he spends cool. all the time tinkering with the, does he the want overlays to like work and for stuff. Riot? Is that one of his? Does he want to work for Riot? Out of curiosity? I don't know if he wants, he wants to work for Riot. He's been the general manager of uh, Windstorm GG. It's a Canadian league team oh. and esports org. They do they complete in like the the upsurge league and stuff mm. like that. So it's like the the tier two below LCS kind of stuff or b- below Academy. Um, yeah. That's kind of a big drop off though. Cause like yeah. drop off between LCS to Academy is already so big. It's kind of like one of the big differentiating points from esports to sports is like, you know, the top of the top it is like really good and everyone watches it. But like with sports, there's like kind of like, you know, the college scene is watched a bit more. There's more fans. There's pickup games. Mm-hmm. There's kind of like these other leagues that get some attention. There's high school players. There's not that same kind of uh, stability with like normal esports, which is kind of cool. Yeah. It's, well, I mean, a lot of it is, you know, people aren't going to watch the games that they don't really want to watch, you know, if, and especially if they're bad. If it's like, two bottom tier LCS teams playing each other, the viewership is going to be bad unless one of them is a known org, which is something sports don't really need to worry about because they can attach mm. their brand to a place. So it's like, mm. I'm a Red Sox fan because I'm from Boston, obviously, but you know, I mean, I don't pay attention to baseball all that often, but I'm still going to cheer when they do things or I'm still going to, you know, obviously when we won the world series freshman year, that was hype, but mm. You know, it's <laughs> it's a lot harder to attract fans when you're just a name. You know, like you know you what have else to is, use you know players. what else is interesting on that on that same point um, is that the casters for League of Legends they kind of flop between all the different games. There's no like homers, right? Like no like yeah. You know, this is my team. I'm gonna fight to the end with them. Meanwhile, you go to, you go over to basketball. Like the Celtics commentators are like Tommy Heinsohn, who recently passed away, rest in peace. But like he was such a homer, he'd be like, that's not a foul? <laughs> when yeah. it was like a super like 50-50 play like type of deal. So that's another thing where like you don't have that homerism coming from the casters that you could also identify with. Because like even if your team's bad, you can listen to your commentator who's kind of like a friend in a way that shares your passion for that same team where yeah. like Golden Guardians doesn't have only Kobe commentating. Kobe's commentating for all the games and Kobe's himself is probably even more excited for like the TSM versus C9. He's kind of thinking that in the back of his mind, kind of like, Oh, mm-hmm. this is the part of my shift where like I'm there to show up and kind of like do a decent job, but like I'm going to make sure I kill it for this series. So it's kind of also that like repeater effect where it's mm-hmm. almost reinforced by the infrastructure of LCS that the top teams get more coverage. Yeah. I mean, something that they've done, I think to kind of help, that problem is the co-streams. I mean, the double lift co-streams with Medios and Sneaky 
I always watch those highlights just because I know that even if I'm not interested in the game that's going on, just hearing their like banter back and forth mm-hmm. um, is going to be worth the time or like the LS co-streams when he just mm-hmm. rips apart everything that the players are doing even <laughs> remotely wrong or not wrong. I don't know. Um, so those co-streams are big. I mean, I play a lot of CS. CS is my like my baby. I love the esports there. Um, and something that happens there is they do the co-streams, but there's a Brazilian streamer, Gaules, and he just gets he gets uh, the rights to stream all the, the matches and stuff like that from the orgs and the uh, the TOs. And so he has a cult following in Brazil because it's huge there. Counter-Strike's huge there. And he's the he's the Brazilian caster. So he's the hometown guy like you were talking about. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. the I you know, listen to the same Red Sox announcers for 40 years, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's, he brings in this, huge crowd of just people that are entertained by him and then he also shows them the cs he casts the cs he is the you know the friend the the person you can talk to while doing all that and i think the professionalism a lot in like league and esports is a little bit much like i think yeah we kind of have to lean into our identity as an esport. Well, more. that's the and- thing that it's not because the reason isn't because they don't want that type of stuff just because it's because with sponsorships and commercials yeah. and things like that, that's when you need to kind of have that, you know, that tight. Cause like, I know yeah. what you're saying, you know, league itself is so toxic, toxic CS. Everyone loves trash talk, you know, some swears here and there. That's why you can listen to double lift. Who's mm-hmm. not like, signed by riot and representing riot and the sponsors but definitely like the whole esports scene in general you know like we're saying they have that disadvantage with the whole branding and casting and homerism there is so many different ways to consume it like you can consume streams by that caster and his content and like the games there's so many different ways there's like animations you can play Mm -hmm. the game whenever it's really cool to to kind of compare esports and sports because they're so like different but they both have sport in the title so naturally you're gonna compare them yeah you're gonna compare else. them well it's i think something about esports that just draws me is the fact that everything's kind of changing everything's in flux it's not like it's not the same thing every time like i can watch a baseball game and i know i'm gonna see the same thing every time i'm gonna see you know five six seven decent hits i'm gonna see some strikeouts but it's nothing that's ever like surprising, and I I know exactly what I'm get in league mm-hmm. though or esports. It's you know a lot more up to chance. You know, I mean, just the way that the dragons spawn in league is something to base macro around. You know, um, so I think, and also just with patch notes and stuff like that, just constantly changing, right. constantly innovating. It's always a new content. You know, it's like you're never going to watch like the same game twice, but, you know, you're going to see a a million zero zero baseball games. That's facts. What's also interesting about that is like, I agree. That's one of the reasons why I love esports, specifically League of Legends, is because it's like a chess match, like on such a deeper level. There's so many methodical little decisions you can make. But at the same time, you know, it is so much more in depth and so much 
so much more actually goes into these games than like a basketball game or a baseball game, like you're saying, or an NFL game. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it's so much easier to kind of understand a baseball game. So like when someone that's not like, that's a casual fan tunes into a baseball game, they're going to know what's going on a lot more than if they tune into like a league of legends pro game, you really have to kind of be a player first, which Mm -hmm. is also interesting because like, I feel like the crossover from normal sports is a lot more like you have people watching all the different sports where in esports, um, you know, they might not play hockey and baseball and football and basketball, but they'll watch all of them. Meanwhile, they don't play any of them. Meanwhile, in esports, I feel like the people that watch esports only really watch the game they play. Right. Right. Like, yeah, I'm not going to watch Overwatch or CS, maybe like, highlight of a casting commentating that's also cool Mm -hmm. yeah it's interesting kind of like the way that people go about getting into games so it's something that i've thought about a lot is how you watch for like traditional sports football soccer whatever you're normally going to watch the players you're going to watch the games and then decide that you want to play that game so it's like you know, you grow up watching, you know, Messi and Ronaldo, and you, yeah, sign me up for soccer, mom. I want to play soccer. Well, somewhat. Also, it can be like friends and parents influenced. Oh yeah, know? no, obviously. But I think for especially esports, it's you find the game and then you say, "All right, I love this. I want to see what it's like played at the top." You're never, you're never gonna stumble into esports without having played the games, really. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, you know, throw on the TV and I'm going to watch a football game without knowing a single rule. I wonder, I wonder if that's because esports are kind of a newer concept. Because I could see in the future where, like, you know, I take one sick play of League of Legends and I show one of my friends, or like it's just on TV or something and they see it. Or like maybe a younger kid sees like this highlight play, this game looks awesome. They're like, yeah, I might actually try out that game. Like right now, I completely agree with what you're saying, but I wonder if maybe in the future it'll change. Because like in China, yeah. it it's... esports is so big, especially league. Like, like on a my like mind just, blowing. Like it's just like, but like really like Instagram like players in China, from what I've heard, can like slide into girls' DMs, for example, and just like they'll What's be up? like in in awe. Like the girls, there'll be League of Legends games in the coffee shops and at bars. It's so mm-hmm. big in China, partially because they don't have sports, which is kind of like filled our the United States entertainment aspect because we have all the best of the best. You know, some of these other countries like China don't really have that. So now they have esports where they have all the best of the best players, and they mm-hmm. have that. You know, that's also cool. I mean, it's it's certainly interesting because just going back to CS slightly off topic, but it's funny how many people in or outside of the US have PCs and play PC games rather than Xbox. Because, I mean, in North America, it's dominated by consoles. You know, we have mm-hmm. Call of Duty, all that, all the console esports also. Um, but it's looking at like Russia, China, south korea they all their main kind of stuff is esports a lot of the time especially for computer yeah is what you're saying right 
Yeah, they all they all have PCs because they don't have the Xbox or P or PS4 releases in those countries. So PCs mm-hmm. are a lot easier. They ha- they start playing from a younger age, um, and so it it's interesting. Certainly, and, like look at and you know one of those concepts of kind of American privilege, right? Like yeah, uh, it's kind of a, a talking point that's been discussed more often. Recently, it's kind of like, oh, American privilege with all this Taliban stuff going off. Like, yeah, wow, we are so fortunate that like we can afford an Xbox and a computer. Meanwhile, in some of these other countries like Vietnam, like Vietnam has a really good League of Legends scene. I'm, I'm disappointed they can't go to Worlds. But like yeah. a computer is so much more useful because like if you don't have the capital to buy both an Xbox and a computer, what are you going to get? You're going to get a computer because it can do so yeah. much more for you in terms of your job and um other additions because like some of these players need a nickel and dime themselves i know like um one of the famous players from gam esports was using a one dollar mouse at world mm-hmm. you know one dollar mouse kind of crazy yeah. there's some stories like that there was an overwatch player who made it onto the best team and he was on the best team for a while um but he played on 45 fps because his computer was so bad so he just had to, he said, I knew I wouldn't be able to outplay anyone until I got a better computer. So I just took to learning the game as much as I could. And so, like, obviously there's some different routes to success, but there's, you know, Xboxes or PlayStations, I mean, PC Master Race and all that, but, like, they seem very excess. You can't do a ton with them on the side. PCs, it's like, I mean, everything in the world runs through PCs these days. So it's it's a mind, it's a, I mean it's just an easy decision, but mm-hmm. a lot of these countries also have good PC cafes, and that's how a lot of these players start. That's so I've heard about that recently. I'm going to do more research into that. But we are at 53 minutes, so I think now's as good a time as any to kind of close it up. Um, do you have anything else you want to say? No, I mean, I'm excited many, many for, viewers. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited to see what happens at Worlds, especially with it being in Europe, a little bit more accessible mm-hmm. for watching the live matches. Um, yeah, I hope TL does well. I, But I'm if a... not, I have Fnatic, so all good. Every year I say this, but I think NA finally has a chance. <laughs> Let's go. Yeah, no, that's good enough. I'm going to be honest, Every though. Year. TL looks really good. I think they can... I mean, they'll probably make it out of groups, and I think they'll have not only like yellow 50 50 on whether or not they make it out as like semis or anything like that. Not only does TL look good, but never before have I heard so many analysts, commentators, casters talk about how bad everyone as a whole looks. Yeah. Where it's like, okay, we've been bad forever. We know how to be bad the best. Like, yeah. this is our time <laughs> to shine. Like, it came over. We've we've lived here. I was born in the horrible. You were yeah, just molded facts. by. <laughs> All right. Well, this has been episode, I believe, eighteen of Double Buffs.